Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Uh, I just want to tell you, some of you have asked me, uh, uh, can have a seat, and uh, some of you have asked me about uh, just uh, how it's been for the two gatherings, and I've said this to everyone, so I'll say it again. Nine o'clock was wonderful. God has been so good to us, but I want to say something in this service that I didn't say in the last one, and that it's really important, that some of you served at the nine o'clock service to now be in this service. So I want to say thank you to you. Thank you for being here, an extra time and extra commitment And I pray that as we continue to move forward, many of you will feel Jesus just putting his hands on your shoulders, just reminding you of how much he loves you and how what you're doing is not for me, it's not for our church, it's, not, it's for him. And learning to do that together is a big deal. And so we're excited to be continuing in a teaching series that we started last week. And if you're here for the first time, even maybe you're watching online, this is such a good series to be in because it's a series that's helping us think about the kind of church that God is calling us to be. We actually thought of a series like this uh, in the summer. I was talking with our elders, but I feel that some of the things I've been talking about or will be talking about in this series have been on my heart for almost eight years. Uh, there are things that have to do with the, the DNA or the values that we really believe are important to the kind of church God's called us to be. And, and values language, like what values you have, is very common in our culture. I mean, sometimes you work in a workplace where, you know, you go to work and they have values on the wall and you're like, we're going to be about, you know generosity, diversity, you know, you have all that stuff. And it's easy to have that, but never wrestle with the, what it means to practice those values. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a, a value that has to do with hope. What does it mean that we are people that are always growing in hopefulness, in a world that's filled with hate, in a world that's filled with doom and gloom, everything's falling apart, everything's getting bad, you know, and if you talk to people, you know, there's all kinds of stories like this, you know, I remember when I was a kid, we and the kids used to walk barefoot and there wasn't even glass on the floor, whatever. We have all these stories of how we remember like the past, you know, but what does it mean to be people of hope? And in a few minutes, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because it's not only a feeling, but it's a value that has to be at the center of who we are as the people of God. I want to tell you a story that often is used in training that happens with learning about values. If you're in a business or you have ever taken a course on leadership or marketing, maybe you heard this story. It's kind of a, a, a famous story that's often used. It's about a company that needs to hire a sales rep. And they need to hire the sales rep. And as they're doing the training with the sales rep, they go through the values of the company. They're like, we're this kind of company. This is what we do, right? And the sales rep is like, yeah, and one of the values is that we believe in honesty before profits, honesty before profit. That's the value of this company. And they had this value and they're committed to it. And this salesperson was so good that he exceeded sales in his first year and everybody was shocked. They're like, oh my goodness, like this guy is amazing. But what ended up happening early on in the season of this salesperson is somebody found out that he had lied on his CV. 
He had lied on his resume. He lied and said certain things about himself and his education that were not true. And so this came to the attention of the CEO and the leaders, and they decided, what are we going to do? How do we respond? And they remember that they have a value that says, honesty above profit. And they had to make a decision. Now, this is a case study that's often used to ask people, what would you do? How would you respond? Would you feel that the value is so important that you're willing to even fire this person if it takes doing that? See, you only know what your values are when you're confronted with something like this. Values only matter when it's sacrifice, you have to sacrifice to keep it as a value. Anybody can have values when things are great. Oh yeah, we believe in this, we believe in that, and everything just flows. But when things push against you, you start to feel like, is this really a value that matters to us this much? This morning I want to talk to you about a value that the world around us will push against us and make us doubt every single day. That we live in a world that's filled with so much tension around culture, around government, around medical issues, around education. Around, I mean, it almost seems like it's bubbling up and at every turn somebody's like canceling someone, etc., someone, firing someone. And what does it mean to be in that world and to be formed as people of hope? What does it mean to do that? What does it mean to live as people that are so transformed by the, by the fact that Jesus changes how we view the world that we're committed to being hopeful even in the face of hatred and pain and discouragement in the world. This is so hard to do. And that's why it needs to be a value. Because hope is not just a feeling of how things are going in the world or whether you had a good day or whether it's sunny. You know, I was telling the earlier gathering service, I mean, hope is the thing that our worship leaders and our worship team think about in the winter when it's dark outside and there's a snowstorm and they have to be here at 7 a.m. It's like, no, 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 no. We committed to help people remember the hope of Jesus. We're going to do this no matter what. It's easy to be happy and to even have a sense, oh, things are going to get better. But that's different than how the Bible talks about hope. And one of the reasons I think this value is so important, it comes back to a story that happened to me about like year one or year two of the church. And I never forgot it. It has to do with a moment that I was invited to an event and I was at this event. There were some city people. There's some people like, I knew some people. I didn't know other people. We were at this table. And like any event, you know, you kind of greet each other. You say, hi, this or that, you know, you're from. And I was there and I just say, hey, I, I work at a church and, you know, I help in the community and I serve in kind of just meeting. And some people heard that and they're like, oh, I'm a Christian. I used to go to church. My grandmother, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, that's great. Wonderful. And another person's like, yeah, you know me too, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. And in my head, I'm like, well, that's, that's not what a Christian is. Even Muslims believe in God, but moving right along, you know, didn't get too tense there. Uh, we're having this conversation, and then I did something that I sometimes do. I just lobbed in a little question, you know, just one of those. I said, so what do you think about what the government's doing with blank? And right away, oh, let me tell you about the government, let me tell you. And the table began to like turn around this question. Everything started to get tense, and I noticed something that I'll never forget that the people who called themselves Christians acted exactly the same as the people that, who were not Christians at the table. They said the same things. They acted in the same ways. They looked at all the problems in the world exactly in the same way as the people at the table who said, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. And I thought, how does that even happen? How does it happen that people that claim to be those who build our lives on the one who says, I will give you hope in a world full of trouble, Look at the world with the same lenses as everyone else around them. 
What does it mean to be those who grow in the way we see the world so that even when we can be honest about the brokenness of our world, the mistakes in the world, hope is not, by the way, magical, like pretending everything's fine. Hope is not like positivity language. Hope is looking at the most broken things and saying Jesus has something to say about this. Jesus has a way of restoring the most broken things. And I want to encourage you to think about this. Because you know what won't change? If you do not grow in hopefulness, you will always divert with, by looking at the world the way the world looks at the world. You will always look at the things that are going on with the government by saying, I hate this, this is horrible. You look at everything, education system, oh, that's horrible. Taxes, oh, Quebec, ta- oh my goodness, that's horrible. Everything is doom and gloom. And you can forget that as Christians and as a church, we are called to be those who are growing in our understanding of hopefulness so that we look at the problems of the world in a different way. The Bible has this great reminder for us about where we learn to develop this kind of hope. This is what we're told. Paul writes to this church in Rome. It's one of the most difficult places to be in the Bible times. Empires there, a lot of problems there, a lot of violence there. And this is what he says to them. He says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have what? We might have hope. That the Bible itself is a gift to us that as we read it, we don't only become like knowledgeable, we don't only become people who are like, oh, I know my Bible better, but we become people who hear the stories of the Bible and we realize these stories, the things that God was doing back then are meant to stir in us a new sense of hope. A new sense of commitment to be people in a world that is hopeless and at times full of hate and at times full of vengeance and full of anger about any little thing. I mean, just you all know this, so I don't want to repeat it. To be those who are shaped by a new sense of hope. Because God is teaching us to be those who see the world differently. Who can look at the most messy situation and say, you know what? We don't see the whole picture, but Jesus, when he used to touch things, he used to make them whole. When things were all messed up, God was still at work. And in an empire where things were falling apart, you know what was growing the fastest? The church was growing the fastest in the first century, second century. Can I just encourage for some of you, if this is a hard thing to understand, that one of the easiest things you can do just this fall, okay, this fall, the easiest thing you can do, maybe you never thought about this, is you can just sign up to be at our Bible study on Tuesday nights. For five weeks, you can say, I'm going to learn to grow in my understanding of Scripture so that I would be encouraged at the hope that I read about or that I see about in the Bible. Like for five weeks, just imagine that the Bible says when you read the Bible and you learn it, you will start to grow in understanding hope, not only for the world, but a hopefulness in your life that other people will notice. How come you don't speak about things the way we do? How come you don't act the way we do? How come things are different with you? Think about in the Bible times in Rome, when people saw the emperor, when people saw the government, when people saw the tax collector coming, they're like, oh, let me tell you. Oh, no, let me just tell you. And people would be like, well, Jesus had tax collectors begin to follow him. Paul's like, pray for the emperor. When people are like, we want the emperor to die. Everything about the church was about viewing the world through the lens of this new hope that Jesus had given them. For some of you, can I just encourage you just this coming Tuesday? Just join us for five weeks just to grow in reading two important letters in the New Testament. We're going to read these. These are the oldest letters in the New Testament. And the people in these books are dying for some hope. 
Just it'll encourage you, it'll help you. If you don't have a Bible, you're watching online, you want to join in, you can be shy, you're like, I don't really have a Bible, I don't know how to study the Bible, it's okay. Trust me, some people in the church have been here a long time, they don't know how to study the Bible either. You're right at home. Some of you got that, some of you are like, I think Dom just made fun of us. Yes, I did. All right. Uh, the 9 o'clock, they were getting it. The 11 o'clock, I don't know, it's a bit mushy. It's a bit more mushy here. I know we need extra coffee. But when I think about hope, I often think of the times where Jesus met people who were losing hope. They were struggling to trust God. They were struggling to believe. And I think when, when we lose hope and when we start to view the world the way the world views the world, right, hope becomes all kinds of other things. The most common thing is hope is the same as just be positive. It's not the same thing. Here's a list of some things that hope is not, okay? And you might have heard this or used it. Hope is not any of these things. Hope is not a feeling. It's not just like, like a vibe you get. Hope is not just expectations of an outcome, meaning I hope I do good on the exam. And if I don't do good on the exam, I'll be really disappointed. That's not what hope is, although it's good to want that. Hope is not just being hyped, hyped up to be like, oh, it's going to be great, like you see in sports. You know, you ever watch sports before they go on the field? They're like, put the hands in the middle. The person's yelling, and you're like, yeah, until the first person hits you in the head, and you're like, what would just happen to me? That's life. It's not just good luck. Oh, good luck. I hope that works out. Good luck. We use the word hope all the time. The most common you'll hear the word hope is when people die, you're at a funeral. That awkward moment, you show up, you share condolences, I hope, every, hope everything's okay. And, and I grew up in a place where hope was always, for me, linked to when somebody dies, they're going to someplace better. So hope was just like at the end of your life, we hope you caught some hope. But the Bible tells us that hope is something we grow into and we live out of our whole life. It's not just something that shows up when you're getting old and preparing for a funeral. Think about your own life. How easy it is over time to make hope just these things. Just like, oh, whatever, you know, hope, hope it's fine. And how hard it's going to be to understand that we're called to grow in how we become people of hope. We grow by reading the Bible, and by seeing how Jesus steps into most broken, helpless, hopeless situations and begins to give people hope. This morning I was thinking about this sermon and I was thinking about a story that I often read. And before I begin, I want to tell you, I'm going to look at it together with you, is this is such a beautiful story that if you read it, there's two stories, there, there's two stories in one chapter. And, and so we don't have time for, to teach all of them. But I so wanted to show you this story because it's all about hope. And, and so what I want to do is I want to encourage you this week at some point, when you can, to just read the whole section of Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 5, which we're going to look at. But the section of the chapter I want to look at with you is about a moment in the life of a father where he had lost all hope. All hope. You think of your own life. The kinds of things that make you lose hope. The kinds of things that make you discouraged. The kinds of things that make you feel like maybe what you believe about God and about life just doesn't work anymore. I've had those moments. One of the patterns in my life I've noticed when I start to lose hope, I start to pray less. It's like, that's, that's the go-to. When I realize that, I'm like, oh, wait a second. That's kind of strange. Because I sometimes think, oh, praying is for God to do things and then I'll be hopeful. But that's not what hope is. Hope is bigger than that. Hope is, is an outlook in how we see the world because Jesus is alive and with us. 
It changes how we understand the world. It changes how we speak among people of the world. Hope makes sure we don't look at the world like the world looks at the world. We grow as people of hope. And this father in the Bible is so hopeless that he realizes one day he's got to find Jesus. He's got to find Jesus because he thinks if there's anybody who can help him, it's going to be Jesus. And this is what the Bible tells us about this father on probably the worst day of his life. It says this. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. How beautiful. Can you imagine how desperate you have to be to get to this point? If you've never read the Bible, you know, you might not know this, but when you're reading the Bible, there's hints in the Bible to understand the story better. In theology, we usually say that we're learning to read the Bible in context, right? So there's one thing about the context in the story that I want to tell you that's easy to miss. That people in the ancient world who had influence, they were leaders, they had people working for them, they rarely went to get someone for themselves. They often sent someone to get someone for them. You see this kind of in like in, in our culture, right? Like when, you, when you're the boss, you go get my car. When you're a big shot, go get me, go get me, fetch me this. I, I, stuff I do with our staff, right? Go get me a coffee. Like that. <laughs> Some of you today, it's rough, huh? it's rough. All right. <laughs> I, I don't do that, okay? It's just a joke. Okay, the staff was like, eh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I should do that maybe, no. But there's a sense that this ruler in the synagogue, this leader, we know if you read the whole chapter, had people who worked for him had people who he sent out, you go do that. And you know how oftentimes when you send someone to go do something for you, it's because it's not that important to you. You're just like, well, you just go get it done. Maybe you'll feel that even with church. You know, if you've ever come to church and you invite someone to come to church, they're like, no, you, you go, you go, it's not for me. What they're trying to say is like, I don't care. But they're saying it in a nice way. And in this moment, you have this father who's a person of influence. Everybody knows who who he is. We even know his name in the Bible. He says, this is too important to send anyone else to this. I will go. I will go and meet Jesus. And the humiliation to get to this place with all of the people seeing this really important leader and the crowd of people, smells and people yelling to see him come through and then to begin to beg Jesus to come with him because his daughter, his baby is dying. I can't imagine. If you're a parent, can you imagine what you would not do if your child was dying? For them losing all hope but you know what he knows something that we all know that jesus always gave people hope that's why he wants jesus there's something about jesus that when you get to him and you see him people are like oh my goodness if he says yes it's going to be a good day we win the lottery if he says yes and you know what the bible tells us jesus says let's go can you imagine the feeling of that father and and it, like if he had text message at that moment He'd be texting his wife like, emoji, happy face, he said yes, pound, no, 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 we're coming, we're going to be there in a minute. How is she doing? Is she still alive? Is she okay? He said he's coming, he's coming, yeah, he's coming, he's coming with me. Do you feel that? Hopelessness, sense of hope, Jesus is going to come. This is going to be amazing. And then something happens in the story that nobody expects. The most unexpected thing happens. It's such a twist in the story. Remember I told you there's two stories in one? Here's the second story. It's going to come like right from nowhere. It's just going to pow. Right? So I'm going to just tell you very quickly. Somebody in the crowd 
touches Jesus. They touch him. This father is like going, going, and then he does something that the father would have seen as the worst thing that could happen. He stops to look around. Because I don't have time to explain the whole story. I just want to show you a picture. Okay, this is one of the paintings that tries to capture what happens between Jesus going with his father and this moment of like unexpected delay. It's a painting that tries to capture the woman who's been bleeding her whole life for, for years. It says for a few years. But she's bleeding and she's not getting better. And in the culture of the time, she would have been seen as, as an outcast, almost cursed. And she knows that Jesus always gave people hope. So she's like, if only I could get to him. If only I could touch him. She does that in the story. She comes in the story and Jesus says, ready for it? Who touched me? Who touched me? Can you imagine being Jairus? Can you imagine being that father? You're like, who touched you? I don't know. Uh, a lot of people. There's a lot of weird people here. They're all touching you. Let's go. <laughs> all right, all right. My daughter, my daughter, my daughter. And Jesus is like, no, who touched me? And for the next few verses, Jesus will stop to help someone else who is losing hope. Losing hope. Because they all knew something that we know, that when you say yes to Jesus, he gives you hope when the world says you should be hopeless. When the world says everything's going to fall apart, Jesus had a way of giving people a sense of hope. So they look for him. They just want to touch him. They just want to be near him. And Jesus begins to talk with this woman. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story. You can read it. Something profound happens and it's so beautiful, it's its own sermon. But then this happens next, which changes everything. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. Remember, he has people. The synagogue leader says, your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. Can you imagine? I'm going to be honest. I know like, I'm super spiritual. You guys know that about me, right? But I'd be thinking about how do I kill this lady? Jesus healed her. She's going to go to heaven, but now I'm going to kill her. Like, what do you mean my daughter is dead? She's gone. And as much as it's beautiful, we read about Jesus saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid doesn't mean I'm bringing her back to life. Don't be afraid means I'm afraid and mad and angry. And all of my hope that was here is now slowly coming down. There's this incredible moment in the story of a delayed sense that Jesus might not do what he said he would do. Jesus might not make things better. This is so important for us today because the world we live in will give us hundreds of experiences where we have hope for a moment and then there's a delay and we have to decide whether we were people who grew in hope. Because if you do not grow in hope, moments of delay soon lead to despair. Moments of delay soon lead to doubting whether God even cares about you. If you're like me, they become moments where you don't really pray because prayer, what does prayer do anyway? Whatever. Moment of delay. Now some of you know this. Mark is so beautiful in telling us that Jesus heals that woman and then he's going to walk with Jairus to the house and he's going to do something that nobody expects. He's going to bring hope in a powerful way. But I want to tell you something that's so important. One of the things that happens in the story that Jesus must teach his disciples is that there will be a con- come a time that the Roman Empire and the Jewish leaders will kill Jesus himself. 
they will kill the one who gave people hope. They will kill him. Like, who kills someone who gives people hope? Like, usually you promote people who give people hope. They will be so disgusted with Jesus' teachings, his interpretation of the Torah, the way he acts, the way he's giving hope to people who are like outsiders, like leave them go, whatever, that they will kill Jesus. And you know what they're going to need in that moment? They're going to need what we all need. That in a moment of delay, when all hope seems lost, you've got to wait three days. In three days, everything's about to change. All of our teachings in the Bible are built on us becoming people who, be, who believe that in a moment where all hope was lost, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And if you've been to the 180 long enough, you know this. We often say this. Every Sunday is what? Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is a reminder that we're living in the story of a moment where everybody lost hope, but that was not the end of the story. That's not how the story goes. We are living in a time, I think today, where for all of us, the temptation is very clear. If you do not grow in hope, you will act like the world, sound like the world. You can call yourself a Christian until you're blue in the face. Everybody will know you're not a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a person whose, whose life is anchored so deeply in the hope that Jesus gives us, even in delay, even in despair, even when we don't see how things can ever unfold. And we decide and commit to not see the world the way the world sees the world. From the beginning of this church, God was calling us to be those kinds of people. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. If it was easy, it wouldn't, we wouldn't even need it as a value. We need it as a value because it's going to be hard to do that. We need it as a value because it's what the Bible says happens to us when we read the scriptures and hope is stirred in us. Because hope is not just a feeling. It's something we grow into and mature into and it transforms everything about us. Are you ready to grow in a sense of hope? You ready? I'm going to wrap up and I'm going to pray. And I want to just remind you that what we have to do is something the earliest Christians always had to learn to do. Some of the earliest Christians felt all of the pain we feel, sometimes worse. Some of them were with loved ones who were killed for their faith. Some of them were discouraged when they prayed and things didn't unfold. Jesus will step into this woman who is bleeding his life, and he will give her hope. Her life will be changed. She will be healed. And Jesus will get to Jairus' house. As they get closer to Jairus' house, they probably hear people wailing and yelling and screaming because their child is dead. I could hear some people saying, I can't believe he came. I can't believe he brought that guy here. And Jesus, when you read the story, will step into the room with a child who's dead and said, everybody out. And he will give them hope in that moment. And the earliest followers of Jesus will have to be ready for when they experience moments where they will want to lose hope. And they, hopefully they remember these words that Jesus told them and is saying to us today. It says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says. The world might hate us. The world might be confused about us. But we don't return hate for hate. We return hate for hope. We don't, we don't interpret anything in the world in the same way. We've been so transformed because the Jesus who was dead has renewed our minds. 
to see the most broken situations in a different way. Some of you are here and you need to start seeing your own life through a different lens. You need to start seeing moments of hopelessness through a new perspective. Maybe you feel like Jarius, you feel like that woman, you feel like you've prayed, you feel like you're desperate. Today, I make a promise to you that we're always going to be the kind of church that encourages you to grow in hopefulness. Doesn't mean you're going to magically feel better every day. Doesn't mean everything's always going to work out the way you thought. But it means that Jesus is with us, giving us a new perspective to see things from a different perspective, to grow us as people who, when the world sees us, they're like, how is it that you can still be hopeful when everything seems like it's falling apart? Like, because delay is not the end. Because even when we're waiting and confused, Jesus is there. Because we've been growing in hope. I'm going to have you stand. Before I pray for us, I just want to show you something that I showed in the first gathering. And it's one of the oldest images we have of someone in the... Scholars think it's maybe the second century. It's a picture of a carving that's on the side of a... kind of like a tomb or a wall. And it's a representation of someone in the ancient world making fun of Christians mocking the God that they worship. So what they did is they put a guy on a cross and they put a donkey head on him. And on the bottom it says, this is Alexamenos' God, the God he worships. Earliest Christians lived in a world where people mocked what they believed. They hated them because they didn't understand them. And you know what Christians did? They never looked at the world the way the world looked at the world. They committed that no matter how difficult it would be, they would be people who loved Jesus and who remembered that Jesus gave people hope. And they saw the world completely different. Each of us will be tempted to respond to the world and the way the world treats us. But a broken world and a hating world and a canceling world and a divided world will always need, this will never change, people who are shaped by the hope that only Jesus can give. That's the kind of church God's calling us to be. Jesus, we are here because of you. You called us here. You drew us here. And on this anniversary weekend, we want to surrender again to you that we are committed to being people of your kind of hope. We feel the temptation and the pain of living in a very divided world. Sometimes we don't know how to act or respond or defend ourselves. Or, but today, again, we want to commit to being those who are growing, determined to be those who view the world through an empty tomb. To, to view the world through the cross and the resurrection the way you gave your first disciples hope. You will give us that hope. I pray for those in the room, maybe those listening online, who feel that everything around them feels hopeless. Maybe they feel like that woman, the story. Maybe they feel like that father, like Jarius and his wife, and the chaos of having a dying child. We bring our most hopeless situations to you, Jesus. 
Would you remind us today that even in the delay, you are present. And you say to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe I'm with you. Some people need to hear that again and again and again. And I pray that if you're hearing that for the first time, that you would commit to saying yes to the ways of Jesus. Father, as we go now, we just want to say thank you for the gift of this weekend, the marker of this celebration. We are committed to making room, room that will lead us into places we can't even prepare for. But help us no matter where we go to remember you're calling us to be people who grow in hopefulness. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everyone, we're so grateful to do this together. Thank you for being here in this gathering, for serving. If you're watching online, we'd love to see you in person. Thank you for tuning in. And if you have your kids, just make sure you say thank you to the team who's serving with our kids. You don't have to rush off because we don't have another service yet. God bless everyone. See you soon.